ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing with بلوغ المرام we're now coming to the end of the chapter باب المواقيت and inshallah ta'ala, if we make progress, we'll complete that chapter today so that the next session we can begin with the next chapter. So the hadith we reached now is the hadith of Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma anna al-nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal al-shafaq al-humra rawahu al-darqutni wa sahaha ibn Khuzayma wa ghayruhu waqfahu ala ibn Umar. So in this narration of Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma he states that the Prophet ﷺ said, Ash-Shafaq al-Humra. this is referring to what we already covered previously, regarding the redness when it disappears in the sky. And that will come now in the explanation of the hadith. This particular hadith then, it has been narrated in two different ways. It has been narrated in two different ways. The chains of narration, they differ. That's why in the end, Al-Hafid ibn Hajar, he said, رواه الدار قطني وصحح ابن خزيمة وغيره وقفه على ابن عمر meaning that there is one chain for this particular hadith which is marfu' meaning that that is the statement of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that is the statement of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم but there's another chain for this particular hadith which indicates that it is موقوف meaning if it's موقوف it is therefore the statement of Ibn Umar himself. وَطَرِيقٌ مَوْقُوفٌ عَلَى ابْنِ عُمَرٍ يَعَنِي مِنْ كَلَامِهِ وَلَيْسَ مِنْ كَلَامِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. So there is one chain which is stopped at Ibn Umar. It stops at Ibn Umar, so therefore upon that, this would be the statement of Ibn Umar رضي الله عنهما himself, rather than the statement of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. The Shaykh says, وَعَلَى كُلِّ حَالٍ الشيخ الفوزان حفظه الله وعلى كل حال سواء كان مرفوعا إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أو هو من كلام ابن عمر فإنه حجة Shaykh says whether we say that this is the statement of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم himself or it is the statement of ابن عمر then in both cases it is an evidence فإن كان مرفوعا إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فلا كلام بعده if we say that the hadith is, the chain exists all the way up to the Prophet ﷺ, and this is the statement of the Prophet ﷺ himself, then there's nothing to be said. If it's the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, the affair is finished. Otherwise, وَإِن كَانَ مَوْقُوفًا عَلَى ابْنِ If we say, based upon the other chain, that this is the statement of Ibn Umar himself, رضي الله عنهما, وَإِنْ كَانَ مَوْقُوفًا عَلَى ابْنِ عُمَرِ فَإِنَّ ابْنِ عُمَرِ مِنْ أَهْلِ اللُّغَةِ وَهُوَ عَرَبِيٌّ فَصِيحٌ وَتَفْسِيرُهُ لِلْحَدِيثِ يُحْتَجُّ بِهِ The Shaykh says, Ibn Umar رضي الله عنهما is from the people of the language. He is somebody who has expertise in the Arabic language. He is عَرَبِيٌّ فَصِيحٌ He is from those who are in the, the, the eloquent form, they have the expertise in the Arabic language. So therefore, his explanation of the hadith would be something that it, uh, it can be taken as an evidence. لأنه من أهل اللغة الذين يعرفون شفق وما المراد به عند العرب. 
فَالْحَدِيثُ حُجَّةٌ عَلَى كُلِّ حال. Because he is from the people of the language, the Arabic language, that this revelation it came in, and therefore he would know the meanings of these words, and the intent behind them, what the Arabs intend when they use these types of words. Therefore the Shaykh says the hadith is an evidence in either case. In either case the hadith is an evidence. So then the wording of the hadith itself, الشفق الحمراء The Shaykh says, الشفق بفتح الشين والفاء الشفق شين with a فتحة فاء with a فتحة على وزن فعل هو الشعاع المتبقي في الأفق الغربي بعد غروب الشمس الشفق it refers to the sun rays the remaining sun rays in the horizon after the sunset. The remaining sun rays, those streaks of light that you see in the horizon after the sun has set. Those remaining sun rays after the sun has set is known as a shafaq. And we've already done the hadith before. We've already covered the hadith before where the Prophet ﷺ explained the time of Maghrib. And the time of Maghrib continued up until when? The time of Maghrib continues up until what? What did we say? <coughs> until the disappearance of the, the, the twilight. The, the remaining sun rays that redness that you may see in the sky after sunset. After that disappears, it's known as the twilight, huh? Well, well then, then this refers to, just, just prior to that then. This is the, uh, a shafaq is those remaining rays from the sun after the sunset. So when they disappear, when they disappear, that's when the time of Maghrib ends. And in reality, that's what this hadith is explaining. This hadith is just an explanation of the previous narration that we already covered. And that's why, in fact, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzani says, it may have even been better if Al-Hafid ibn Hajar had mentioned this hadith before with the other one. Because in reality, it is just an explanation of the previous narration. That the time for Maghrib, it continues up until that Redness that remains after sunset, those final few rays of light, that redness in the horizon, it disappears. That's the time of Maghrib done. And this in reality, the hadith, that's all it is explaining. So the shaykh says, maybe it would have been better if he had mentioned it over there. وَكَانَ عَلَى الْمُؤَلِّفِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ أَنْ يَذْكُرَ هَذَا الْحَدِيثَ فِي أَوَّلِ الْبَابِ لِأَنَّهُ تَفْسِيرٌ لِلشَّفَقِ الَّذِي مَرَّ فِي أَوَّلِ الْبَابِ it would have been maybe better if he had mentioned this hadith earlier on. Because in reality, it is just an explanation, a clarification of when that time for Maghrib ends. And we already covered the times of the five prayers, when they start, when they end, right at the beginning of the chapter. وَعَلَى كُلِّ حَالِ فَالْمُرَادُ وَاضِحِ وَهُوَ أَنَّ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ تَفْسِيرٌ لِلشَّفَقِ الَّذِي إِذَا غَابَ دَخَلَ وَقْتُ الْعِشَاء وَانْتَهَى وَقْتُ الْمَغْرِبِ And so the Shaykh says, the intent is clear. And that is that this hadith explains the shafaq, which is uh, that when it disappears, when that twilight then begins, 
The time of Maghrib has ended and the time of Isha has begun. وَهُوَ شَفَقُ الْأَحْمَرُ And that is the red uh, twilight or whatever the word, the remaining lights of the sun, the remaining sun rays uh, after the sunset. فَإِنَّهُ إِذَا غَابَ يَنْتَهِ شَفَقُ If those remaining rays of sunlight, after the sun has gone down, those remaining rays of light, when they disappear, then the shafaq has finished. And that is the end of the shafaq. And that therefore indicates that once that has finished, the time of Maghrib is now gone, and the time of Isha has now begun. Uh, the Shaykh mentions that initially when the sun is going down, the sun rays that remain afterwards, initially they are a bright white type of sun ray. They are initially a white color, the sun rays. Those ones disappear quickly. Then afterwards remains the redness in the horizon. As you'll see at sunset, after the sunset, you see the redness remaining in the horizon. That is the one that the Shaykh says remains for a while. But once that disappears, that is the end of the time for the Maghrib. And the time for the Isha begins. Lest somebody may think that those whiteness or the, the yellowy, whitey, bright rays of sunlight that remain after the sun goes, they disappear quickly as the sun sets. But afterwards remains the redness in the horizon. When the redness disappears, that is the end of the time. After that, and that is like we said, a clarification of the previous hadith and explanation of what we already mentioned. Then we have An ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. And in reality, you'll see today some of these ahadith, several of them, are in reality a recap of what we've already done. And they are a clarification or a further explanation of what we've already covered. That's one of them. The next one, An ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, qal, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, al-fajr fajran. Fajrun yuharrimu al-ta'am wa tahillu fihi salah وَفَجَرٌ تَحْرُمُ فِيهِ الصَّلَاءِ أَيْ صَلَاةَ الصُّبْحِ وَيَحِلُّ فِيهِ الطَّعَامِ رواه ابن خزيمة والحاكم وصححاح In this hadith of Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما He says that the Prophet وسلم, said The fajr is two There are two fajrs As you may say in English There are two fajrs There is the first fajr and the second fajr The first fajr when that appears or when that is in presence, then, uh, rather, rather, uh, take the explanation like this. One of the fajrs, one of those two fajr events, indicates that now it is impermissible to eat for the one fasting. One of those two fajr indicate that it is now impermissible for the one fasting to eat. But at the same time, they are now an indication that the prayer can be prayed. So which fajr is that, the first or the second? second? The second. Remember we mentioned the false dawn break and the real dawn break. The false fajr and the real fajr. The false one the shaykh explained. When the light it comes out and it comes out in a very horizontal manner. The light comes out in the sky in a horizontal manner like a column. And it goes upwards. But then that disappears. Then the real, the reality of Fajr when it appears, is when the light comes out in a horizontal manner across the horizon. The whole of the sky starts to lighten up. Not just one column type uh, situation of light going up. That was the first Fajr. The second Fajr when the light comes out across the horizon, that's when now it's impermissible to eat for the one fasting. 
And at the same time, that's now the indication that the time for the Fajr prayer has begun. That's what the hadith says. One of those two Fajrs indicates that it is impermissible to eat now, but the prayer is now permissible to pray. That's the second one. وَفَجْرٌ تَحْرُمُ فِيهِ الصَّلَاءِ صَلَاةُ الصُّبْحِ And there is one of the Fajrs, which is obviously the other one now, where prayer cannot be prayed. Because obviously the time for the Fajr hasn't yet begun. It's not with the first Fajr that the time begins. So the time hasn't begun yet. With that Fajr, the prayer cannot be prayed. But the food and eating is permissible. So everybody understand? You have the false dawn break as we mentioned before. And you have the actual dawn break. The false dawn break, that light that goes up into the sky like a column, that is the, the first dawn break. That one isn't the beginning time of Fajr yet. You can't pray Fajr yet. Which therefore means it is still outside of the time of Fajr, so you can still eat and drink for the one fasting. The second Fajr is when prayer can now be prayed, and therefore the time has entered, which means that food and drink can now not be eaten. So it's two opposites. Uh, regarding this hadith, the Shaykh mentions here, الحديث الثاني وهو حديث ابن عباس فهذا الحديث أيضا فيه تفسير لما سبق في الحديث الذي في أول الباب Again the Shaykh says, this is an explanation of the hadith which we already mentioned at the beginning of the chapter أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال that the Prophet said صلاة الفجر حين يطلع الفجر أو الصبح فالنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في الحديث الذي مر وقت الفجر بطلوع الصبح أو طلوع الفجر uh, and the hadith that we already mentioned was where the Prophet ﷺ said that the Fajr prayer, it occurs when the Fajr arises, when the Fajr, the dawn break occurs. Uh, and the Prophet ﷺ explained that the time for the Fajr prayer is when that actual and true dawn break occurs. وَلَمَّا كَانَ الْفَجْرُ يَنْقَسِمُ إِلَىٰ قِسْمَيْنِ And because this Fajr is two types, إِلَىٰ فَجْرٍ يَظْهَرُ أَوَّلًا ثُمَّ يَمْضِي وَقْتٌ قَلِيلٌ ثُمَّ يَظْهَرُ فَجْرٌ آخَرٌ Just like we said, this Fajr is two types. You have the first Fajr, the first dawn break that occurs. Then a small amount of time goes by and it becomes dark again. Then the actual light starts to appear across the horizon. That is the second Fajr. ثُمَّ يَظْهَرُ فَجْرٌ آخَرٌ وَيَكُونُ الَّذِي يَظْهَرُ أَوَّلًا عَلَىٰ صِفَةِ ضَوْءٍ عُمُودِي the first fajr is like a column type. It goes upwards across uh, across the horizon, but the second type, or, uh, and within that, is still some darkness. There is still a zulma. There is still some darkness. And it is not the correct, the accurate, the true fajr where the light is going to come properly. The second Fajr is the one where the light goes out across the horizon. Just like the Prophet explained and he spread his hands to explain that. And that is the correct Fajr. And that, all of it we mentioned before. All of that we mentioned before at the beginning of the chapter, the two types of dawn break. So none of that should be new. فَلَمَّا كَانَ الْفَجْرِ يَنْقَسِمُ إِلَىٰ قِسْمَيْنِ وَالنَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم عَلَّقَ صَلَاةَ الْفَجْرِ بِطُلُوعِ الْفَجْرِ فَأَيُّ الْفَجْرَيْنِ يُرِيدُ سَلَّمْ So now, because we have two dawn breaks, two fajr, and the Prophet has said that the fajr prayer, it becomes permissible to pray, the time starts 
when Fajr appears. So which Fajr was the Prophet ﷺ speaking about? The first one or the second one? This hadith clarifies that the Prophet ﷺ was speaking about the second Fajr. The second dawn break, the true dawn break. That is what this hadith clarifies. Because the hadith says, there is a Fajr whereby food and drink are impermissible. And the prayer is now permissible to pray. That is the second Fajr. And there is a Fajr where food and drink is allowed, but the prayer is not. That is the first Fajr. Time hasn't entered yet. That is what this hadith is explaining. So in reality, again, it is an explanation or a clarification of what we already mentioned regarding the times for the Fajr. And the Shaykh says, وَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ يُوَضِّحُ وَيُفَسِّرُ مَقْصُودَ النَّبْسَ أَسَلَّمْ فِي أَنَّ مُرَادَهُ بِالْفَجْرِ الْفَجْرُ الثَّانِي الَّذِي يُسَمَّ بِالْفَجْرِ الصَّادِقِ And this hadith explains the intent of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, that he intended the second Fajr, which is known as the, the true dawn break or the true Fajr. That is the second narration. And again, nothing in reality new. The basis of that was already done. This was just further clarification and further emphasis on explaining the time for the Fajr. Uh, the third narration, uh, which is linked also, وَلِلْحَاكِمْ مِنْ حَدِيثِ جَابِرْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ نَحْهُ وَزَادَ فِي الَّذِي يُحَرِّمُ الطَّعَامِ إِنَّهُ يَذْهَبُ مُسْتَطِيلًا فِي الْأُفُقِ وَفِي الْآخَرْ إِنَّهُ كَذَنَبِ الصَّرَحَانِ Al-Hakim, he mentioned the hadith of Jabir رضي الله عنه. And it is similar to the narration that we've just mentioned. He added in his narration that the fajr which prevents you from eating now, the fajr which makes the food impermissible to uh, eat now, that fajr he gave a description of it in his version of the narration from Jabir. He said, That it goes in an elongated fashion across the horizon. It goes in an elongated fashion across the horizon. That is extra detail that is given to clarify that it is the second Fajr. Uh, and as for the other Fajr, the first one, the narration of Al-Hakim gives details to explain what that first one is. And he says, It is like the tale of a, uh, a fox or a hyena. Those types of animals. The Shaykh will explain here now. The intent of that. وَدَلَّ حَدِيثِ ابْنِ عَبَّاسِ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْفَجْرَيْنِ يَخْتَلِفَانِ مِنْ حَيْثِ الْحَقِيقَةِ وَمِنْ حَيْثِ الْحُكُمِ So these narrations, the narration of Ibn Abbas, it indicates that there are two dawn breaks. There are two dawn breaks. And the reality of the two dawn breaks is different. There are different descriptions for each of the two dawn breaks. They are different in how the light comes out and uh, how it uh, spreads across, etc., so there are two different dawn breaks, they have two different descriptions, and they have two different rulings. The first dawn break, you can still eat and drink, but you can't pray. The second dawn break, you can't eat and drink now, but you can now pray, the time has started. So there are two different dawn breaks, two different descriptions, two different rulings for each one of them. فَأَمَّا حَيْثُ الْحَقِيقَةِ As for the reality then, the, the actual reality of the two of them, الفجر الأول يكون عموديا أفقيا ممتدا في السماء 
The first fajr, it is in a column-like fashion where the light rises up across the horizon. وَيَكُونُ فِيهِ شَيْءٌ مِنَ الظُّلْمَةِ And there is still darkness. When that fajr appears, it doesn't just become light everywhere. There is still darkness, but you see some light. وَلِذَا شَبَّهَهُ بِذَنَبِ سَرْحَانِ That's why in this narration, the resemblance is given of that first fajr, where there's darkness but some light as well. Darkness but some light as well. With the tail of a sarhan. And that is a type of wolf. The shaykh says, Ismun min asma'i dhib. It is a type of wolf. It is a particular type of wolf that has a tail which is very upright. It is a very uh, straight, upright type of tail which has within it blackness and whiteness, darkness and brightness. So it has darkness in the tail, this particular type of wolf, and it has some lightness in it, and it is very upright. So that is similar to the description of the first Fajr, that the light it comes out in an upright type of fashion across the horizon. There is still darkness, but some light in amongst that. So the descriptions resemble the description of the tail of this particular type of wolf. فَهَكَذَا الْفَجْرُ الْأَوَّلْ يَكُونُ عَمُودِيًّا وَيَجْمَعُ بَيْنَ الْبَيَاضِ وَالصَّوَادِ And that's how the first Fajr is in this upright column-like fashion, and it combines between the darkness and the light. ثُمَّ يَذْهَبْ Then that goes, it disappears, and it becomes dark. وَيَأْتِ بَعْدَهُ فَجْرٌ آخر مُسْتَطِيلٌ فِي الْأُفُقِ مِنَ الشَّمَالِ إِلَى الْجُنُوبِ Then you get another Fajr which comes in a uh, horizontal type fashion, elongated type fashion across the horizon from north to south, and that is pure in its brightness, it comes out in a white fashion, and the darkness begins to disappear. When that uh, fajr begins to appear across the horizon, darkness begins to disappear. That is the real fajr now, that is the day about to begin. So there in that one, the darkness disappears, as the light it comes out, whereas the first one, there is still darkness, and some light. That's the reality of the two of them and their descriptions. As for the rulings, then we've already mentioned, فَإِنَّ طُلُوعِ الْفَجْرِ الْأَوَّلِ يَحِلُّ الطَّعَامُ لِلصَّائِمِ وَلَا يَمْنَعُ مِنْ صَلَاةِ النَّافِلَ وَالتَّهَجُّدَّ لَكِنَّهُ يُمْنَعُ مِنْ صَلَاةِ الْفَرِيضَةِ وَهَذَا مَعْنَى قَوْلِهِ يَحِلُّ الطَّعَامُ وَتَحْرُمُ فِيهِ صَلَاةِ The first fajr, it is still permissible for a person to eat, the one who's going to fast. You can still be eating when that first fajr appears. That is not the time for the entry of fajr yet. And he is not prevented from praying superrogatory prayers. When that first fajr appears, a person could still be praying superrogatory prayers, tahajjud, etc. When does he get prohibited from doing that? From the times of the prohibitions that we mentioned. One of the times of prohibition was from fajr till sunrise and even after sunrise for a, a time. But from which fajr? The true fajr, the second one. That's why the shaykh says this first fajr that's not the prohibition. You can carry on praying your superrogatory prayers. The first fajr isn't the one. We mentioned last time or previously, the prohibited time is from the true fajr, up until sunrise, and in fact, even beyond sunrise to a degree. Uh, as for the second fajr, the shaykh says, that is opposite to the first one. So now you can pray once the second fajr starts, and you cannot eat anymore, and you cannot pray superrogatory prayers anymore. Because now you've entered into the
the time of the prohibition. The only prayer that is permitted then is the actual fajr, of course, and the two ratiba, the raka'atan, the two units of prayer that you pray for the fajr, that go with the fajr prayer. And that's going to come in uh, detail later on as well, the specific hadith relating to that. Uh, so then the Shaykh says, فَهَذَا الْحَدِيثُ وَاضِحٌ وَلِلَّهِ الْحَمْدِ فِي بَيَانِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَشَرْحِهِ لِلْفَجْرِينَ So these ahadith or this hadith is very clear, and all praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the clarification of the Prophet sallam and explanation of what these two fajrs are. وَهُوَ يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْفَجْرَ الْأَوَّلِ تُبَاحُ فِيهِ صَلَاةُ النَّافِلَةِ وَتَحْرُمُ فِيهِ صَلَاةُ الْفَرِيضَةِ And this is what we mention about the rulings of the two. After that, the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud. So again, that hadith there so far, so far the basis of all of these narrations we've done then. The basis of that narration we've done it before too. That there are two types of fajr. The prohibition of the uh, supererogatory prayers comes after the second fajr, not the first one. So all of it so far should have been a good recap of things that we've done so far. If there is somebody sitting not uh, recalling these details before, then it would indicate a lack of revision. We've done all of these affairs so far. The basis of all of these hadith, we've done them so far. And the issues have been generally covered so far. The next narration, Ali ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu qal, qal Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, fi awwali waqtiha. Rawahu tirmidhi wal hakim wa sahaha wa asluhu fi sahihain. Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu narrates that the Prophet said, the best of the actions are the prayer at the beginning of its time. We mentioned already when the prayer times are. When the time for Dhuhr starts, when it ends. When the time for Asr starts, when it ends. Maghrib starts, ends. Isha starts, ends. Fajr starts, ends. We did that already. The times for all of the prayers. This narration now says, the best of the actions are the prayer at the beginning of their times. The prayers prayed at the beginning of their times. And the details of that will come now. The hadith is narrated by Tirmidhi and Hakim, and they both uh, uh, authenticated it. And the origin of the hadith, the origin of it is found in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. So this hadith then, Al-Shaykh Salih Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala says, قَدْ تَقَدَّمَ لَنَا فِي الْأَحَدِيثِ أَنَّ وَقْتَ صَلَوَاتِ يَمْتَدِ We've already seen previously in the ahadith that the times of the prayers, they are elongated. They go from one particular stage to another stage. There are elongated times for the prayers. It's not like the time for the prayer is an exact specific one minute where you have to pray it in. The time starts and it carries on. And you have this gap where you can pray your prayers in. And we've seen that for the prayers and their times before. That each prayer has a start time, then it continues up to an end time. And there's time in between that. وَأَنَّ وَقْتَ الظُّهْرِ مِنْ زَوَالِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَىٰ أَنْ يَصِيرَ الظِّلِّ مِثْلَ الشَّاخِسِ And we've already seen that the time for dhuhr is when? Sheikh is recapping now, when was the time for dhuhr? He starts from, from the zenith, when the sun moves from the peak of the day. When the sun moves from the peak of the day, it's at the top of the heads of the people, 
the zenith or the, the meridian, I believe, when it moves from that, the peak of the day, and it begins to slant towards the west, now the time for Dhuhr has begun. And it continues up until... So that's what we mentioned here. The Shaykh explained from the Ahadith that the correct opinion is that the time continues up until the shadow of an object is equal. I.e. the shadow is equal to the length of its object. The shadow is the same size as the object. Asr begins from when? If Dhuhr finishes when the shadow of an object is equal to it, so Asr begins from that point. From that point onwards now, if that's when Dhuhr has ended, Asr has now started from that point. And it continues up until when? That was one statement that the Shaykh mentioned. That the shadow of an object is double its length. The time of Asr ends when the shadow of an object is double its length. Or there was the other narrations that mentioned that Asr finishes when? When the sun begins to turn yellow in color. When the, 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 the coloration of the sun uh, it changes to a yellowy type of color. When it starts to become a very uh, a radiant yellowy type of color, that indicates the end of Asr. So these two narrations were mentioned. Uh, the shadow of an object becomes double its size, or the yellowness begins to appear. There was one other thing that was mentioned, that perhaps the time for Asr could go even beyond that up until Maghrib itself. And that would be for... Necessity, as they say, the time of necessity. Typically speaking, the actual time is from the end of Dhuhr, the shadow being equal to its object, up until double the object, the shadow is double the object, or the yellowness in the sky. And that is before the sunset. That is a period of time before the sunset. There's still a gap left from that time, from when the shadow of an object is twice the size of its object, or the yellowness of the sun appears, after that there's still some time to go until sunset. That time which is still left up until sunset is waqtul darura. If somebody had some need or necessity, was not able to pray before that, then they can pray in that time, and that uh, the prayer would still be correct. Then, uh, oh, uh, the Shaykh mentions the hadith, we already did it as well. Uh, كما قال النبي صلى الله Whoever catches one raka'ah before the sun goes down, then indeed he has caught the asr prayer. Whoever catches one raka'ah before the sun goes down, then indeed he has caught the asr prayer. So that therefore would indicate the person is praying it right at the end just before sunset. But that is the time of necessity. And some of the scholars they say that it is not befitting that a person leaves it out of choice. To that time, out of laziness to that time. Rather you pray before that. وَأَنَّ وَقْتَ الْمَغْرِبِ يَمْتَدُّ مِنْ غُرُوبِ الشَّمْسِ And Maghrib we've just done. So Maghrib starts from when? After sunset basically. Generally speaking, after sunset up until... We just mentioned it. The twilight, the, the redness, the, the rays of the sun, the final few... 
remaining redness of the rays of the sun after sunset, they disappear from the sky. Once that disappears, then that is the end of Al-Maghrib, and then Isha starts from that point up until half the night, or some of them said a third of the night, difference of opinion on the narrations. These times that we've mentioned, other than the necessity time for Asr just before Maghrib, leave that one out. All the other times, they are the optional times, they are the uh, the chosen times, the correct times when you should be praying your prayers. And they are the best times, they are the preferred times. As for the time of necessity, then it is up to, now the Shaykh is going to speak about each of the individual prayers. The time of necessity is up until sunrise. And that the time of Fajr is from the dawn break up until the sunrise. Right up until that sunrise, just before it, you can pray Fajr. That therefore indicates, the Shaykh gives an example, that it indicates the times for the prayers are lengthy. They are lengthy times. Now if you work it out in our days, you have maybe an hour, two hours, especially in the summer, two or three hours for each prayer. Two or three hours, maybe more for each prayer. Uh, some of them less, of course, but some of them up to two or three, four hours. وَقَدْ أَمَّا جِبْرِيلُ عَلَيْهِ صَلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ نَفْسِ أَسَلَّمُ فِي أَوَّلِ الْوَقْتِ وَفِي آخِرِهِ وَقَالَ يَا مُحَمَّدَ الصَّلَاةُ بَيْنَ هَذَيْنَ الْوَقْتَيْنِ And there is the narration where Jibreel alayhi salam, he prayed with the Prophet in the beginning of the times, and then he came and he prayed with the Prophet at the end of the times, and he said to him, between these are the times of the prayers. Between these, the prayers are correct and accepted. The Shaykh says, وَهَذَا مِن تَيْسِيرِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ عَلَىٰ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ This is from the facilitation and the ease that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed upon this nation. فَمَنْ صَلَّ صَلَاةَ فِي هَذَا الْوَقْتَ الْمُمْتَدِّ فَقَدْ أَدَّاهَ فِي وَقْتِهَا So whoever prays the prayer within that elongated time, he has prayed it correctly. For example, in the summer from Dhuhr to Asr, you may have four or five hours. Anybody who prays within that four or five hours, his Asr is correct, he's performed it correctly. So this is from the blessing of Allah, the mercy of Allah, the ease and facilitation that Allah has placed upon this nation. However, the Shaykh says, knowing all of that now, bearing in mind that the times of the prayers are elongated, they are lengthy, you have a, a, a large opportunity, chance to pray those prayers within their correct times. Bearing that in mind, we do now have the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu, where he says, that the Prophet said, the best of the actions is the prayer at the beginning of their times. We know the times are lengthy, but the best of the actions is to pray the prayers at the beginning of their times. لِيُبَيِّنَا to clarify and to make clear that even though the times are lengthy, the best action is to pray them at the beginnings of their times. Because a person who prays the prayer at the beginning of the time, then it indicates that he is hastening towards the obedience of Allah. 
he's hastening towards the obedience of Allah. The time prayer starts, the, the, the time for the beginning of the prayer starts, he hastens towards making the wudu and going and praying. He runs towards the obedience of Allah, the beginning, as soon as the time is available to him now. So this indicates goodness that a person is hastening towards the obedience of Allah. وَفِي ذَلِكَ أَيْضًا تَفْرِيغٌ لِلذِّمَّ مِنَ الْوَاجِبِ And on top of that, a person, if he was to go and pray the prayer at the beginning time, he has now fulfilled his responsibility. The responsibility has been fulfilled. Remember we covered those ahadith about the menstruating woman. If she delayed the prayer within its correct time, but delayed it and then started menstruating, does she have to make it up or not? Why was that even an issue? Because some of the scholars said, she should have prayed it at the beginning of the time. The fact that she didn't pray it at the beginning of the time, even though it's allowed for her to delay it, the fact that she didn't pray at the beginning time and then started menstruating, and therefore couldn't pray, means she has to make it up now. That was to do with this issue. That's why it's linked in now, you see the reasoning for that. That the scholars, they say, it is hastening towards worship. And you are fulfilling your responsibility. In the summer when Dhuhr is at 2 o'clock and Asr is at 6 o'clock, you have 4 hours, somebody who prays at the beginning in the jama'ah at 2 p.m., then he's fulfilled his responsibility. Compared to somebody who is, uh, gets to 5 o'clock or 5.30 and he's still waiting with that burden upon his head of the obligation of the prayer which he still hasn't done yet. So you remove that responsibility, you fulfill it early. You hasten to it and that is goodness. لكن هذا أداء الصلاة في أول وقتها هو أفضل الأعمال مطلقا But then there's a question The hadith says the best of the actions Is to pray the prayers at the early times, the beginning times Does that therefore mean that the best of all actions in Islam Any action from all of the obediences, all of the actions This is the superior, the most best action from all of them To pray the prayers at the beginning times does it indicate this is the most superior action in the whole of Islam? Absolutely. The Shaykh says, لَقَدْ وَرَدَتْ أَحَدِيثُ تَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ هُنَاكَ عِبَادَاتُ أُخْرَىٰ هِيَ أَفْضَلُ الْعَمَالِ أَيْضًا The problem that we have is there are other narrations that similarly say somebody who does such and such, that is the best of the actions. Somebody who does such and such, that is the best of the actions. So we have various narrations with various different acts of obedience. All of them saying, whoever does this act of obedience, that is the best of the actions. So then the question is, which of them is actually the best of the actions? Because you have other hadith about, uh, Shaykh gives some examples, أَفْضَلُ amali imanun billah. There's a narration, the best of the actions are belief, your iman in Allah. The best of the actions are your iman in Allah. You have another narration. وَمِنْ ذَلِكَ وَرَضَ فِي بَعْضِ الْحَدِيثِ أَنَّ أَفْضَلَ الْعَمَالِ الْجِهَادُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ There are some narrations that say that the best of the actions are fighting in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَرَضَ فِي بَعْضِ الْحَدِيثِ أَنَّ أَفْضَلَ الْعَمَالِ الْصَدَقَةِ Some narrations say the best of the actions is giving in charity. So now we have various narrations explaining that various acts of obedience are all the best of the actions. So how do we understand them? Which of them is actually the pinnacle and the superior action? The shaykh says, firstly, nobody should think that there is any contradiction in these ahadith. There is no contradiction in these ahadith. And uh, to the extent some of the scholars, they say, uh, you don't even say 
You don't even say that there appears to be an apparent contradiction. In reality, some of the scholars, they say there isn't even an apparent contradiction. The contradiction, if it appears, then it only appears for one reason. If the ahadith are all authentic and they are the ayat of the Qur'an, etc. It appears because of your lack of understanding of those narrations. Because of your shortcoming in being able to understand these narrations, you view it as perhaps there could be a contradiction. Somebody who reads these now, the best of the actions is jihad. The best of the actions is charity. The best of the actions is prayer at the beginning time. Somebody who reads those may think, what's going on here? Contradiction. One hadith is saying the jihad is the best. Another one is saying the charity. Another one is saying the prayer. A person may think from his shortcoming that there is contradiction. And in reality, the shaykh says there is no contradiction because لَيْسَ بَيْنَ أَحَدِيثِ رَسُولَ سَلَّمْ تَعَارُضُ أَبَدًا There is no contradiction between them or conflict. وَالْعُلَمَا أَجَابُ عَنْ ذَلِكَ فَقَالُوا And the scholars have answered this and they said, أَمَّا قَوْلُهُ صَلَّى اللَّهِ سَلَّمْ أَفْضَلُ الْأَعْمَالِ إِيمَانٌ بِاللَّهِ فَهُوَ مَعْمُولٌ فَهُوَ مَحْمُولٌ عَلَى أَعْمَالِ الْقَلْبِ As for the hadith that the best of the actions are iman in Allah, then that hadith is understood upon the premise that it is referring to the actions of the heart. The best of the actions of the heart are iman in Allah. As for uh, our narration here, that the best of the actions are the prayer at the beginning time, then this is understood upon the premise that the hadith is referring to the actions of the limbs, physical actions. Iman in Allah is an action of the heart. Prayer is a physical action. So the scholar said the hadith, they all make sense. The best of the actions of the heart is Iman in Allah. The best of the actions of prayer, of the uh, physical actions, of the physical actions is the prayer. But then somebody might say, what about jihad then? Jihad is also a physical action. So you still haven't clarified it to us. Then the shaykh says, the Prophet ﷺ and the revelation, it came to encompass the various uh, nature of different people. The sharia, it came in a manner that it encompasses the various different nature or characteristics that people have. So now somebody who's brave and strong and he has this desire to fight in the path of Allah. Then for him, somebody who has those characteristics, the best of the actions would be to go out and fight jihad. Somebody who may be a little bit, uh, he doesn't have that bravery, he doesn't have that strength in his body, he's not really able to do jihad. But he is somebody of sincerity and humbleness and modesty and obedience. Then for him, the best of the actions is Prayer. Maybe somebody, he's not excessive in his worship. He does his obligations what he needs to do. He does his obligations what he needs to do. But he's not excessive in that. So the prayer wouldn't be the best of the actions for him. He's not very brave. The jihad wouldn't be the best of the actions for him. But he's rich. And he gives a lot in charity. So the hadith that the best of the actions is giving in charity would be applicable to a person of that type of nature. So the shaykh mentions here that the ahadith have come, the revelation has come to encompass the different characteristics and the different nature of people. 
So for an individual who doesn't have any bravery, just can't fight jihad. Then for him it's difficult to implement that narration, the best of the actions are jihad in the path of Allah. But for him now, you have charity, you have prayer. And the shaykh says one of the uh, wisdoms behind that is so that all of the various uh, aspects of Islam are implemented and they are uh, practiced properly. Whereas if it was just the case that only one of those was mentioned, the best of the actions is the prayer. The shaykh gives the example here. He says if the example was that the best of the actions is the prayer only, then the shaykh says people... They may abandon jihad. Somebody might say, I have a choice between jihad and I have a choice between staying in the masjid, praying every day. I'm going to do that because the hadith says, the best of the actions are the prayer. The shaykh says in that way, certain aspects of Islam may become neglected. But rather because the nature of people is different and their characteristics are different, then these various narrations, the best of the actions is this, the best of the actions is that, the best of the actions is this, then they will be applicable to people in accordance to their various nature and their various characteristics. As well as the fact that they have actual explanations, in terms of some of them being actions of the heart, some of them being actions of your wealth, the charity, some of them being actions of your physical body, the jihad. So in this way, we see that there is no contradiction between these narrations. Uh, And our narration that we have here now, it is correct to say that the best of the actions is the prayer upon its time. Having understood that, who still finds some difficulty in the issue of the hadith saying that there is the best of the actions is the prayer at the beginning time? Does anybody have any issue with the hadith now that we have clarified that aspect? Is there any other aspect that maybe concerns anyone from this hadith? Exactly. So we mentioned already that some of the prayers actually it was preferred by the Prophet to delay them. So now we'll come to that section here. What does that mean then? بَقِيَ إِشْكَالٌ آخَرٌ عَلَى هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ There's one issue left, one problem left with this hadith. وَهُوَ أَنَّهُ وَرَدَتْ أَحَدِيثُ فِي أَنَّ الْإِصْفَارَ بِالْفَجْرِ أَفْضَلٌ There are some narrations that we mentioned that indicate you should pray the fajr late. Remember those, there were some narrations that indicated that you should pray the Fajr late, Al-Isfar, when the brightness starts to appear outside. We explained that though, and the Shaykh explained that, that the meaning of it is, not that you pray the Fajr prayer late, you pray it early. But what do those ahadith mean that we explained? That the Shaykh explained? What do they mean that you pray the Fajr and the Isfar is occurring, the brightness, the light is starting to appear? It means that the Prophet ﷺ used to prolong the prayer. They used to start early. But they used to prolong it so much. Remember we mentioned 50, 60 ayat, 100 ayat. And they were slow. The shaykh mentioned the manner in which the Prophet ﷺ used to recite. It wasn't a quick recitation. It was a slow recitation. And he would stop at the end of the ayat. So imagine to do it in that way. In a slow recitation. Stopping at the ayat. 60 to 100 ayat. It would take you a lengthy time. It wouldn't be a 10 minute prayer or a 15 minute prayer. Longer. So that was what we mentioned. However, the shaykh says, nevertheless, there are these narrations that say, delay the fajr until the uh, brightness appears. Asfiru bil fajr, aw asbihu bil subh, fa'innahu a'adhamu li'ujurikum, because that is greater for your reward. Also, that was for fajr. So there were these narrations that were mentioned about delaying it, even though there specifically we mentioned, as the shaykh explained, it was to do with prolonging the prayer rather than delaying it. 
But nevertheless, the narrations are there, and some people may use them as they do. There was another one, delaying the prayer. Before we get to Isha, there was another one. Another one of the prayers when it was permissible to delay it. When it's very hot, the dhuhr prayer. There were narrations about the dhuhr prayer. إِذَا اشْتَدَّ الْحَرُّ فَأَبْرِدُوا بِالصَّلَاةِ فَإِنَّ شِدَّةَ الْحَرِّ مِنْ فَيْحِ جَهَنَّمِ That if the heat becomes severe, then cool yourselves with the prayer. Cool yourselves down with the prayer, meaning delay the dhuhr from that early time when it's at the peak of the day. Delay it closer to the asr time when the heat becomes reduced. The heat becomes less. So there was an exception. In the severity of the heat, it was permissible to delay the dhuhr prayer. Um, also, uh, like the brother mentioned, we have Salatul Isha. وَرَدَ حَدِيثٌ آخر أَنَّ النَّبْسَ سَلَّمْ أَخَّرَ الْعِشَاءَ إِلَىٰ أَنْ دَخَلَ فِي الْعَتَمَةَ أَوْ إِلَىٰ ثُلُثِ اللَّيْلِ ثُمَّ خَرَجَ وَصَلَّ وَقَالْ إِنَّهُ لَوَقْتُهَا لَوْلَا أَنَا شُقَّ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِي and it's mentioned in one narration where the Prophet ﷺ, he delayed the Isha prayer to the third of the night. Then he came out and he said that this is the actual time for it. This is the preferred time. Was it not for the burden that uh, would be upon the nation? Was it not for the fear that I would burden the people? Then that is the time. And we mentioned those narrations that it is better to delay the Isha prayer if that is suitable for the people. If the people, you see them being very late coming for the Isha prayer, they are not gathering at the early time, they're gathering slowly, ones and twos slowly, then delay it and pray later on the jama'ah. But if the people due to their other affairs, they all come and they congregate at the early time, then pray it at the early time. So the Prophet Sallam, he used to do that on some occasion, it's mentioned how he delayed the Isha prayer. فَهَذَا أَيْضًا فِيهِ أَنَّ تَأْخِيرَ صَلَاةِ الْعِشَاءِ عَنْ أَوَّلِ وَقْتِهَا أَفْضَلِ This also indicates that delaying the Isha prayer to a later time is better. وَهُنَا يَقُولُ عَلَيْهِ صَلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ أَفْضَلُ الْعَمَالِ الصَّلَاةُ فِي أَوَّلِ وَقْتِهَا So we have three various exceptions there. Some narrations about Fajr being delayed, some narrations about Dhuhr being delayed, some narrations about Isha being delayed. How do we put them together with this narration that says the best of the actions are to pray your prayers at the beginning times? So the Shaykh says, فَهَلْ يَكُونُ بَيْنَ هَذِهِ الْأَحَدِيثِ تَعَارُضِ Are we going to say that there's conflict or contradiction here? الجواب على ذلك بأن حديث Again the Shaykh says clearly the answer to that is that the hadith which says the best of the actions are to pray your prayer at the beginning time that is a uh, an open-ended hadith. It's a, it's a general open-ended hadith. Generally speaking, the best of your prayers are to pray at the beginning time. It's an open-ended hadith in that way. That generally speaking, your prayers, the best time to pray them is at the beginning time. However, the hadith about delaying dhuhr because of the heat, or delaying isha to a later time, or about the fajr if you take it upon that meaning, then those hadith are all specifics. The dhuhr one, delaying it because of the heat, otherwise you wouldn't. It's because of the hadith, uh, because of the heat. So you delay it because of the heat. That is a specific. Again, the Fajr issue, it would be a specific narration. The Isha issue would be specific. Meaning that generally speaking, the best thing to do is to pray the prayers at the beginning times, except in those types of instances, for example, when it's severe heat at the time, then you delay it. Or for example, you come to the time of Isha, and you find that the congregation, they have ease in delaying the prayer, therefore you delay it, and you pray later on. 
So those types of affairs can be done as a specific thing. But generally speaking as a whole, then to pray the prayers at the beginning times is better. وَلِهَذَا فَإِنَّهُ لَا تَعَارُضَ بَيْنَ عَامٍ وَخَاصٍ And that's why there is no contradiction or conflict between the general narration of praying at the beginning times and the specific narrations about delaying these prayers. كَمَا أَنَّهُ يُحْتَاجُ إِلَى عَدَمِ الْعَجَلَةِ لَأَنَّ بَعْضَ النَّاسِ خُصُوصًا الْمُبْتَدِئِينَ فِي طَلَبِ الْعِلْمِ يَخْطِفُ الْعِلْمِ خَطْفًا فَيَأْخُذُ حَدِيثًا وَآيَةً وَيَسْتَدِلُّ بِهَا وَلَا يَنْظُرُ إِلَى النُّسُوسِ وَالْآيَاتِ الْأُخْرَى The Shaykh says an important point to note here, and this is what we mentioned briefly before, that it's important a person when seeking knowledge, he does it slowly in steps, in stages and carefully. Not that you come across one narration somewhere and you fly with it. So you see a narration telling you the best of the uh, uh, actions are the prayer at the beginning. So you say to, you begin to say to everyone, that's it. Dhuhr delayed because of the heat. A'udhu billah. The hadith says at the beginning time. Isha delayed. A'udhu billah. The hadith says at the beginning time. This would be the action of an individual who has not encompassed the various aspects and the issues relating to that affair. So the shaykh says, be careful, seeking knowledge slowly, carefully, step by step, encompassing and understanding all of the issues together. That was like the example, I think, did we give the example about the ghusl? There is the authentic hadith, sahih, that إِنَّمَا الْمَاءُ مِنَ الْمَاءُ You only have to make ghusl if liquid exits from the individual uh, within intercourse. If an individual has intercourse, penetration occurs, and liquids exit, then the ghusl is obligatory. It's, it's a narration which is actually in of itself authentic. So now somebody reads that would say, in that case you can have uh, intercourse penetration, but as long as there is no liquid release, there's no issue, no ghusl. But that would be a lack of understanding, because he wouldn't understand, or he hasn't understood, that the hadith is abrogated. And there is another hadith, وَجَبَ الْغُسْلُ إِذَا الْتَقَ الْخِطَانَانَ If the two private areas meet, whether there are liquids released or not, then the ghusl has become obligatory. So these are types of issues that a person, if he doesn't encompass them all, then he will have a misunderstanding of the issue. And he will misunderstand the rulings to be taken. So the shaykh advises at this point here, he says that it's upon a student to be careful and take things slowly and to understand the issues. After that, عن ابي محظورة رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أول الوقت رضوان الله وأوسطه رحمة الله وآخره عفو الله أخرجه الدار قطني بسند ضعيف جدا. This hadith of Abu محظورة رضي الله عنه he says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said that the first time I now we're talking about the times of the prayers. The times of the prayers we said, they start from one point and they carry on for a while until the end. This hadith sections that time for each prayer into three sections. The first third, the beginning time. The middle third, the middle time for that prayer. The last third, the last time for that prayer. So for example, in these days now, between Dhuhr and Asr, there's barely an hour. An hour and a half say, 90 minutes. 90 minutes, therefore the beginning time for the prayer would be in accordance to this classification, the first 30 minutes. The middle time will be the middle 30 minutes, and the last time for the prayer will be the last 30 minutes. This hadith says that the beginning time, the first third, is the, uh, 
the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is pleased with the one who prays in the beginning time, the first third. That is the ridwan of Allah, the, the, the pleasure of Allah, the, the happiness of Allah upon that individual. وَأَوْسَطُهُ رَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ The middle time is the mercy of Allah. That is linked to the mercy of Allah. And the final time, the one who prays it at the end, is linked to the pardon of Allah. That Allah pardons that individual. Afu. Afu meaning to uh, overlook and to pardon and to, uh, to let pass the issue. So that is linked to the final time. Narrated by Daraqutni with a very weak chain of narration. And the shaykh will explain because there are certain narrators. Some of them were liars, some of them were other affairs. Which indicates that this hadith is extremely weak. But to come to the explanation of it. This particular hadith, actually the shaykh says, it is backed up. It is backed up. Despite what we've just said now, the weakness in the hadith itself, the chain itself. It is backed up by the narration of Ibn Mas'ud. How? We'll come to understand that now. Abu Mahdura, the one who narrates it, his name is Aus. And some of them said it was a Samura. And he was the Mu'addin of the Prophet ﷺ in Al-Masjid Al-Haram. He became Muslim in the year of the conquering of Mecca, in the 8th year of Hijrah. And he had a nice uh, voice, so the Prophet ﷺ made him the Mu'addin. And he continued to do that until the Prophet ﷺ died. So in this narration that the beginning time, that is the Ridwan of Allah, the, the pleasure of Allah. Any other translations for Ridwan? Pleasure? The pleasure of Allah. So that is the pleasure of Allah. Why is that the, the pleasure of Allah linked to the beginning time? Because the shaykh says, having the pleasure of Allah is superior to having just the mercy or the pardoning of Allah. The pleasure of Allah is superior to having just mercy or pardoning from Allah. That's why the pleasure of Allah has been given the priority or rather the beginning time of the prayer has been given the priority to the extent that it is linked to the pleasure of Allah, which is the superior item from the three. Uh, and that's mentioned in the uh, ayat of the Qur'an, وَرِضْوَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرٌ And the pleasure of Allah, it is the greater, it is the greatest, the, the superior affair. Uh, there is another ayah from the Qur'an, وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِ مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا وَمَسَاكِنَ طَيِّبَةِ فِي جَنَّاتِ عَدْنٍ وَرِضْوَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرٍ Again, Surah At-Tawbah, وَرِضْوَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرٍ Again, indicating the superiority and the greatness uh, and the precedence given to the pleasure of Allah. فَرِضْوَانُ اللَّهِ أَعْظَمْ مِنْ نَعِيمِ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَا فِيهَا مِنَ النَّعِيمِ Shaykh says, the pleasure of Allah is greater than the other affairs of the blessings of paradise. The other blessings of paradise, the, the pleasure of Allah is greater than them. وَفِي الْحَدِيثِ sahih And in an authentic narration, أَنَّ اللَّهَ جَلَّ وَعَلَى يَقُولُ لِأَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ إِذَا دَخَلُوا الْجَنَّةِ رَضِيتُمْ فَيَقُولُونَ يَا رَبَّنَا وَمَا لَنَا لَا, وَمَا لَنَا لَا نَرْضَى وَقَدْ بَيَّضْتَ وَجُوهَنَا وَأَدْخَلْتَنَا الْجَنَّةِ فَيَقُولْ أَلَا أُعْطِيكُمْ مَا هُوَ أَفْضَلَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ أَوْ أَكْبَرْ فَيَقُولُونَ يَا رَبَّنَا وَمَا أَفْضَلَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ وَمَا أَفْضَلُ مِنْ ذَلِكَ فَيَقُولْ أُحِلُّ عَلَيْكُمْ رِضْوَانِي فَلَا أَسْخَطُ عَلَيْكُمْ أَبَدًا In this narration, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the people of paradise, once they have entered paradise, are you satisfied? Are you pleased? They say, oh our Lord, for what reason would we not be satisfied or pleased? You have brightened our faces, whitened our faces, and entered us into paradise. Then Allah will say to them, shall I not give you something which is greater than that? They say, oh our Lord, what is greater than that? So then Allah says, I will now place upon you, give to you my pleasure. And I will never become angry or asghat. Sakhat is uh, perhaps uh, disapproving of you or displeased with you or angry with you ever again. So this narration indicates that Ridwan, that pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the superior affair to gain. That's what the shaykh says, وَهُوَ أَعْظَمُ شَيْءٍ يَنَالُهُ الْمُؤْمِنِ That is the greatest thing a believer can obtain. The pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why the narration links the beginning time of the prayer to the pressure of Allah. Because the beginning time of the prayer is the best time to pray, generally speaking, as we mentioned from the narration. فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الصَّلَاةَ فِي أَوَّلِ وَقْتِهَا أَفْضَلُ مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ فِي وَسَطِهِ أَوْ فِي آخِرِهِ فَالرِّضْوَانُ أَفْضَلُ مِنَ الرَّحْمَةِ وَالرَّحْمَةِ أَفْضَلُ مِنَ الْعَفُوِ So it indicates that praying at the beginning time is better than the middle time or the end time. Because the pleasure of Allah is superior and better to the mercy, and the mercy is superior and better to the pardoning. So the pleasure of Allah is the greatest thing that a person can achieve. Walakin, however, this narration which splits these parts of the time for the prayer into three sections is very weak. لِأَنَّ رِوَايَةَ الدَّارَ قُطْنِ فِيهَا إِبْرَهِيمِ بْنُ زَكَرِيَّةَ الْعَجْلِ Within it is this narrator, Ibrahim ibn Zakariya, وَهُوَ يَرْوِيَ الْبَوَاطِيلِ كَمَا قَالَ ibn Adi. Ibn Adi, one of the scholars of the past, he mentioned that this narrator, he narrates bawatil, uh, fabricated, complete false narrations. وَفِي إِسْنَادِهِ مِنْ رِوَايَةِ التِّرْمَذِي يَعْقُوبِ بْنُ الْوَلِيدِ الْمَدَنِي And in the other narration of Tirmidhi, there's another narrator, Ya'qub ibn al-Walid, قَالَ فِيهِ لِمَا مَحْمَدْ إِنَّهُ كَذَّابٌ كَبِيرٌ Imam Ahmad said about that narrator in that chain of narration, he is a big liar. He is a, a big liar, a, a heavy liar. إِنَّهُ كَذَّابٌ كَبِيرٌ وَلِهَذَا قَالَ الْمُؤَلِّفَ And that's why the author said that this is ضَعِيفٌ جِدًّا Very, very weak. يعني شديد الضعف It is extremely weak because of these two narrators in the chain. But the shaykh says, there is a point to the narration, despite the fact that the hadith itself is very weak, there is a point to it, which is somewhat backed up by the narration of Ibn Mas'ud, أَفْضُلُ الْعَمَالِ الصَّلَاةُ عَلَى وَقْتِهَا The best of the actions are the prayer at the beginning time. That hadith indicated that generally speaking, praying at the beginning times is the best thing to do. Which is what actually this hadith indicates. That praying at the beginning time is the ridwan of Allah. Therefore indicating the superiority of praying at the beginning time. So the meaning of it to a degree, the shaykh says, is backed up by the other narration, although this narration in of itself is weak. Continuing. Inshallah, it won't be too long, but we'll uh, continue for a while, and we'll uh, try to conclude. Uh, the next narration, well, the next narration is the narration of Tirmidhi that we've already spoken about. The narration after that, وَعَنِ ibn Umar رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ قَالْ لا صلاة بعد الفجر إلا سجدتين أخرجوا الخمسة إلا النساء وفي رواية عبد الرزاق لا صلاة بعد طلوع الفجر إلا ركعتي الفجر ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما narrates that the Prophet ﷺ said 
There is no prayer after Fajr except two prostrations. We'll come to the explanation of what that means now. And in the narration of Abdul Razak, he says there is no prayer after the dawn break except the two raka'at of Fajr. So now, coming to that. تقدم لنا في أحاديث النهي أوقات النهي التي بينها الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم وهي خمسة. Sheikh says firstly, this hadith it is linked to the times of prohibition. The hadith is linked to the times of the prohibition of the prayer. They were what? We need to recap what those times of the prohibition were in order to understand this hadith. The times of the prohibition were there's two ways to look at them: three lengthy times. Or you could break it up further and say five times. We did it in the five times way. So what are those five times? The first of them from? From the, the second Fajr, the actual Fajr up until? Uh, we're doing it broken up into the five classifications. So then upon the five classifications, it's the dawn break, the actual dawn break up until sunrise. That's the first one. Then the second one is from sunrise up until the length of a spear. That's the second one. Then? The peak of the day. When the sun is exactly above the heads of the people, there's no shadow. That peak of the day, that's a prohibited time. Once it moves from the peak, then it's okay. Dhuhr starts then. But at the peak, it's prohibited. Fourth one. Sunset? Just before sunset. Just before sunset. Just before sunset. What if somebody comes, uh, prays Asr, after the Jama'ah, he wants to start praying supererogatory prayers. <laughs> From Asr onwards. After the Asr prayer onwards, it was mentioned. After Asr onwards, then that is one of the prohibited times. And the last one, the, the sunset. At the, the, the final moments before the sunset. Those were the times of the prohibition. Here the point of it is the first one. About the Fajr. That's what this hadith is going to discuss. وَهِيَ خَمْسَ تَبْدَأُ مِنْ طَلُوءِ الْفَجْرِ فَإِذَا طَلَعَ الْفَجْرِ فَإِنَّهُ يُنْهَ عَنِ النَّافِلَةِ إِلَّا رَكَعَتَيْ الْفَجْرِ So if the true dawn break occurs, it is prohibited to pray any nafila prayers except the two raka'at for Fajr. You have the two raka'at of the actual Fajr prayer, the fard prayer, and you have the two that go with it. The two uh, sunnah, as the people say, two sunnah and two fard. The two that go with it, they are permissible. Other than that, after the true dawn break up until the spear length of the sun rising, no other prayer is permissible. The fajr and the two that go with it. فَإِذَا طَلَعَ الْفَجْرِ فَإِنَّهُ يُنْهَ عَنِ النَّافِلَ إِلَّا رَكَعَتَيْهِ الْفَجْرِ فَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ مُتَعَلِّقٌ بِتِلْكَ الْحَدِيثَ السَّابِقَةِ So this hadith is linked to those previous ones about the prohibitions. فَدَلَّ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ عَلَى مَسْأَلَتَيْنِ This hadith therefore indicates two issues. الْمَسْأَلَةُ الْأُولَى إِنْهَاءُ النَّوَافِلْ بِطُلُوعِ الْفَجَرِ وَأَنَّهُ يَبْدَأُ بِهِ وَقْتُ النَّهِ That the supererogatory prayers, they are to be stopped. They stop at the time of the dawn break. The true dawn break. When that occurs, supererogatory prayers, your tahajjud, whatever, you stop. After that now, it's not permissible. The only prayer permissible after that now is the fajr and the two that go with it. And that is the second issue, al-masala thaniya, istithna raka'atay al-fajr, wa annaha tu'adda ba'da tawli al-fajr, wa qabla salat al-fajr. The two raka'atan, the two units that go with the fajr, then they are to be prayed after the tawli al-fajr, after the true dawn break. 
and obviously ideally before the Fajr prayer. And then we'll come to the narrations concerning how you can pray them afterwards if you miss that. Uh, almost concluded the final two narrations then. The final two narrations, uh, well, the next narration, and Amr ibn As. The next hadith is actually the same as this one, so that is included within the same category about how when the true dawn break occurs up until the rising of the sun, a spear's length, then no other prayer can be prayed other than the fajr and the two raka'at that go with it. After that, then the final two narrations, وَعَنْ أُمِّ سَلَمَةً رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا قَالَتْ صَلَّى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ سَلَّمَ الْعَصَرُ ثُمَّ دَخَلَ بَيْتِي فَصَلَّى رَكَعَتَيْنِ فَسَأَلْتُهُ فَقَالْ شُغِلْتُ عَنْ رَكَعَتَيْنِ بَعْدَ الظُّهْرِ فَصَلَّيْتُهُمَ الْآنِ قُلْتُ أَفَنَقْضِيَهُمَا إِذَا فَاتَتْنَا قَالْ لَا أَخْرَجَهُ أَحْمَدْ And the final one, لَأَبِي دَوُودْ عَنْ عَائِشَ بِمَعْنَاهُ In this hadith of Umm Salama, which is also narrated by Abu Dawood from Aisha radiallahu anha also, uh, she says that the Prophet said, or rather she narrates uh, radiallahu anha, that the Prophet prayed Asr. The Prophet he prayed Asr, then he came and entered my home. Prayed Asr in the masjid, then he came and entered my home. Then he prayed two raka'at after Asr now. He came up, he went and prayed the Asr, the, the Asr Fard prayer jama'ah, then came and prayed two raka'at afterwards. So I asked him concerning these two raka'at. Why did she ask him? What was wrong with the Prophet praying two raka'at after Asr? Why was there a need to ask? It's not usual. Because typically that's one of the prohibited times now. After Asr is a prohibited time. So this was the reason for this question. That has something changed. Sometimes the companions, they would ask. Because maybe the revelation has changed. Maybe the, the rulings have changed. The revelation was still coming down. So, she, uh, Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she says, I asked the Prophet So he said, Sallallahu He said, I was, I became preoccupied with certain other affairs, which the Shaykh mentions, either it was a, uh, the 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 uh, the tribe or the group of people who came from Bani Qais, or there were some other affairs of charity money that had come in, and the Prophet ﷺ on this particular occasion had become preoccupied after Dhuhr, so he hadn't found an opportunity to pray the two uh, units after Dhuhr. He hadn't found an opportunity due to becoming preoccupied for various affairs. So as a consequence, after the Asr prayer, he came home, Sallallahu and he prayed them. So then he told her, this is the reason why I prayed them. So then she said, radiallahu anha, should we make them up too if, they, if we miss them? If the same situation occurred to us, we missed our uh, rawatib after dhuhr, the, the sunnah prayers after dhuhr, the two units. If we miss that, something happens and asr comes after asr, can we make them up too? So then the Prophet ﷺ said, no, la. So what's the meaning of this then? وَأَمَّا بِنِسْبَةِ لِحَدِيثِ أُمِّ سَلَمَ وَعَائِشَةَ فَإِنَّهُ مِنَ الْمَعْلُومِ أَنَّ السُّنَنَ الرَّوَاتِبَ الَّتِي تُفْعَلُ أَوْ نَفْعَلُ مَعَ الْفَرَائِضِ عَشْرَ رَكَعَاتِ أَوْ إِثْنَ عَشْرَ رَكَعَاتِ Firstly, the shaykh says, how many are there, these rawatib of the day, that you pray with the obligatory prayers? They are, the shaykh says, 10 or 12, depending on how many you pray them. رَكَعَتَانِ قَبْلَ الظُّهْرِ وَرَكَعَتَانِ بَعْدَهَا And two after the Dhuhr prayer. 
or alternatively, four before the Dhuhr prayer and four after the Dhuhr prayer. So there's an, uh, an option here that Shaykh says, Raka'atani qabla al-dhuhr wa raka'atani ba'daha. Or, arba'a raka'atin qabla al-dhuhr wa raka'atani ba'daha. Apologies. Right, so you have either, option A is two before dhuhr, or two after dhuhr. Option B is four before dhuhr, and two after dhuhr. So either two before dhuhr and two after it, or... Four before the hor and two after it. That is the first one. Then, uh, oh, well, then the Sheikh says, uh, Third option. Third option is four before the hor and four after the hor. Four before the hor and four after the hor. The Sheikh says, this the Shaykh says is the best. Four before the hur, four after the hur. The Shaykh mentions that is the the most perfect and the best way to do it. But if a person prays two before the hur and two after it, then there's no issue in that, no problem with that. Then after that, you have two raka'at after maghrib. Two after the maghrib. وَرَكَعَتَانِ بَعْدَ الْعِشَاءِ And two after the Isha. وَرَكَعَتَانِ قَبْلَ الْفَجْرِ And two before the Fajr. So how many all together there? 10, 12, 14. Right, so if you, if you do, for, let's start with easy ones. Two after Isha, that's two. Two after Maghrib, four. Two after... Two before Fajr, six. So six without a problem. Then for Dhuhr, you could do... You could potentially do four before, four after. That would leave you with 14. But otherwise, if you did four before and two after, that leaves you 12. Or if you did two before and two after, that leaves you with 10. So this is what the Shaykh mentions. And he says, There is no ratiba before the asr or after it. These are the rawatib prayers that you do with the obligatory ones. Rawatib, why are they called Rawatib? Some of the scholars say because Rawatib, um, it, it comes from the Arabic root word which indicates something which is compound, built upon something else. So you have something and then you build upon that. It's compounded on top of it. So Rawatib are things that are built upon the Fard prayer. You have your Fard prayer and then you have other prayers that you build on around it. That's linguistically what some of the scholars say rawatib means. These are extra prayers that you build on and around the fard prayers. And that's what these are, the two before Fajr, the two after Maghrib, two with the Isha, the two and the four with the Dhuhr, etc. وَيُحَافَظُ عَلَيْهَا And it is important to guard over them. وَلَا يَنْبَغِي تَرْكُهَا إِلَّا فِي حَالَةِ صَفَرْ سِوَى رَكَعَتَيَّ الْفَجْرِ And it is not befitting to leave those, these ones that we mentioned now. It is not befitting to leave them, except if a person is traveling. And even then, you're still supposed to pray the two for Fajr. Even when a person is traveling, you're still supposed to pray the two for Fajr, and the others can be left. But otherwise, the Shaykh says, it's not befitting that you leave them. فَإِنَّهُ كَانَ لَا The Prophet ﷺ never used to leave the two for Fajr, whether he was 
resident at home or traveling. Uh, as for the remainder of them, then that was different. They could be left. Hatta innahu lam yatrukhuma hina nama huwa wa ashabuhu an salat al-fajr wa lam yuqidhum illa harru al-shams fa innahu sallam adda ratibat al-fajr huwa wa ashabuhu qabla ha ba'da tulu al-shams. وَكَذَلِكَ صَلَاتُ الْوِتَرِ لَا تُتْرَكُوا فِي الْحَذَرِ وَلَا فِي الصَّفْرِ To the extent that there is a narration on one occasion when the Prophet ﷺ and the companions, uh, they did not awaken for Fajr. And they only woke up when the sun was beating on their faces. When the sun was, uh, when the sun arose and it, uh, the, the heat came upon their faces, they awoke. But even in that instance, they, when they prayed the Fajr, it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ still prayed the two to go with the Fajr too. Even in that occasion. Uh, and also the other one that is not to be left is the witr. The witr, the Prophet ﷺ used to pray whether traveling or resident. ففي حديث أم سلمة رضي الله عنها أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى العصر ثم دخل بيتها ثم صلى ركعتين على خلاف عادته So in this hadith of Um Salama, the Prophet ﷺ came back from Asr and then prayed to rakaat, which was in opposition to his habit. That wasn't the norm. The Prophet ﷺ didn't used to come back and pray two rak'at after Asr. إِذْ إِنَّهُ لَمْ يَكُنْ يُسَلِّي بَعْدَ الْعَصْرِ Normally he never used to pray after Asr. بَلْ كَانَ يَنْهَا عَنِ الصَّلَةِ بَعْدَ الْعَصْرِ كَمَا سَبَقْ Rather, he actually used to prohibit from praying after Asr. One of the times of prohibition. فَأَشْكَلَ هَذَا عَلَىٰ أُمِّ سَلَمَا So this was something which was problematic. It caused some level of confusion. That why is the Prophet ﷺ praying after Asr therefore? فَسَأَلَتْهُ عَنْهَا تَيْنِ رَكَعَتَيْنِ That's why Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she asked the Prophet ﷺ about this. Because he was out of the norm. فَأَخْبَرَهَا سَأَسَلَمْ أَنَّهُ شُغِلَ عَنِ رَكَعَتَيْنِ بَعْدَ الظُّهْرِ وَأَنَّهُ سَلَّاهُمَا الْآنِ So the Prophet ﷺ told her he became preoccupied and that's why he had to pray them now. So that was making them up. That was a qada for those ratiba of the dhuhr. And it's narrated, like we said, that it was either the congregation that came from uh, Abdul Qais, or because it was some charity money that had been given at that time, and the Prophet ﷺ became preoccupied on that occasion, and he wasn't able to pray them, so he had to delay them till after Asr. Al-Hasil annahu shughila an ratibati al-dhuhr allati ba'daha faqadaha ba'd al-asr. So the point is, the Prophet ﷺ made them up after Asr. So then, Umm Salama radiallahu anha asked, do we do that? If we miss them, can we make them up after Asr? So the Prophet ﷺ said, No. إِلَّا رَاتِبَةَ الْفَجْرِ إِذَا فَاتَتْ فَإِنَّهَا تُقْضَى فِي حَقِّ الْأُمَّةِ Except for the Fajr. If a person overslept, then you pray the Fajr obviously, and you can pray the two that go with it. You can pray all four then. The two actually for Fajr, the Fard, and the two Ratiba. They can be made up. But if you pray Dhuhr, after the you become preoccupied, this happens, that happens, Asr, the time for Asr starts. You pray your Asr Jama'ah. Then you decide, my Ratiba to Dhuhr, I want to pray them now. Now you cannot do that. That has gone now, and that is not something that is to be done. لِأَنَّهُ سَأَسَلَّمْ رَأَى رَجُلًا يُسَلِّي بَعْدَ الْفَجْرِ فَسَأَلَهُ فَأَخْبَرَهُ رَجُلْ بِأَنَّهُ يَقْضِي رَاتِبَةُ الْفَجْرِ As for the Fajr, once there's an evidence for it. There was an individual on one occasion that was delayed in his Fajr prayer, and afterwards he was praying. And he made up the two ratiba as well. And the Prophet ﷺ saw him. And there was no prohibition or anything uh, given to that individual, indicating the permissibility of that. 
The final benefit the Shaykh derives from this narration is, look at the example of Umm Salama radiallahu anha. That as soon as this issue occurred, the Prophet ﷺ doing this act which was out of the norm, something that wasn't known to them, praying after Asr, two rak'at. So this indicates the enthusiasm of the companions to learn the religion in detail, to learn the various aspects. What is this rak'at? What, are the, what is this prayer now? And this was the way of the companions. And you see that often, when something slightly went out of the norm, then they would ask the Prophet ﷺ, what about this, what about that? Is it the same ruling, is it not? The very first hadith in Bulugh al-Maram, the very first hadith, huwa tahuru ma'uhu al-hillu maytatu, the hadith about the seawater, where the narration mentions the lengthier version of the narration, some of the sailors, they would go out on the ocean and they had barrels of fresh drinking water. But those barrels of fresh drinking water were limited in their quantity. So, what could they do? When they're out on the ocean, if they made wudu with that barrel water, the fresh drinking water, they would run out of water to drink. So then what they wanted to do was, use the sea water for making wudu, and save the fresh drinking water for just drinking. But they, were, they didn't know if that was permissible or not. Why? Why didn't they know if it was permissible or not? Because they thought to themselves, look at the, the specifics and the acute manner in which they were. They recognized that the seawater and the ocean water is different to normal standard pure water. Clearly, if you, touch, if you smell it, you drink it, it's salty, etc. It has different characteristics. So to the level that they wanted precision in their religion, they asked the Prophet ﷺ, the seawater, can we make wudu with that or not? Can we use that as wudu or not? Because they knew in their minds, it's different. It's got salt in it. It's got animals living in it. It's different. Can we use that or not? That was the level of their wanting to seek the knowledge and to know the details of the affairs. And that's when the Prophet ﷺ then said to them, yes, it is pure and purifying. So you can use it to make your wudu and your ghusl, etc. And that you can eat the animals that live within it, exclusively within it. <laughs> Including the mermaids, the animals, the fish that the scholars have mentioned, looks like a, a human. Not the mermaids that the people are accustomed to now, where this woman comes out of the water and speaks to you. That is not the case. But there is a type of fish the scholars have mentioned, it has some resemblance to humans. They mentioned, there are many people they mentioned, even uh, some of the Arabs, etc. They've caught these types of fish, where they have features, like almost facial features, to the tops of their heads. So they have a resemblance to humans. And that's what Shaykh Bozan said, is the insanul bahar. He said, this is what they call the, 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 the sea human, the ocean human. But it is not what you see uh, on, the, on the media and on these places, how they describe these mermaids as actual women that speak and talk, etc. That is not the case. But there are fish that resemble humans. And that is within the permissibility of eating also. So that is the point where we conclude today. And that is the end of the chapter relating to the times of the prayers and the issues linked to the times of the prayers. When they start, when they end, the prohibited times, when is it best to pray the prayers, when can you delay them, all of those issues now we've covered them in that chapter, and that is the end of the chapter, and next time, inshallah ta'ala, we'll begin with the chapter relating to the adhan, the rulings, the legislation, the sharia, what we learn in the sunnah, the Quran, the sunnah regarding the adhan, how it is done, some of the rulings regarding it,
We'll begin that next time. Uh, inshallah, hopefully in two weeks' time. Possibly may not be in, uh, in two weeks' time. Possibly the lesson may not be on uh, due to traveling. But inshallah, hopefully in two weeks' time. If it's not, then the updates will be given on the, the Twitter and the websites, etc. Inshallah. But otherwise, by default, consider it as on for now. If it's not, then the information will come out, inshallah. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين